Anarcho-Tyranny 2020 and Beyond, The Age of COVID-19, BLM, and Apex Parasites by Richard Houck. Part 2. Black Lives Matter There is much to be said about the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole and its accompanying narratives. The obvious question is why, as in, why do black lives matter, and why should I care? Is there any evidence to support this claim? It's not exactly self-evident. Black lives do not matter to other blacks. They kill each other constantly. Black women have abortions at the highest rates and kill their birth children at the highest rates. Blacks attack and kill white people at a rate far disproportionate to whites attacking blacks as well as to whites attacking other whites. From a purely objective and neutral position, I see no evidence that black lives matter to anybody. What these people honestly seem to care about is using a particular false narrative as a cudgel with which they can bludgeon whites. The calls for equality and ending oppression are quite bankrupt. There is a prevailing notion among these people that anybody stopping them from committing crimes or whatever else they want to do at any given moment is a violation of their rights. Sadly, a lot of small amygdala whites agree with them, further emboldened by the lies in the mainstream media. In reality, most of their issues are directly related to lower IQ and low impulse control combined with a penchant for violence. That said, even if any of the BLM grievances are legitimate, I simply do not care. These people have made my life, all of our lives, irreparably worse in every imaginable way. It is my belief that the BLM riots and attacks were entirely state-sanctioned. With all of the stand-down orders given to law enforcement, their compliance with those orders and the number of politicians, including the current vice president, who encouraged the riots and raised bail money for rioters, it's hard to deny that the BLM riots last summer were not state-sanctioned. Indeed, it was very close to state action, with the rioters becoming, in effect, proxies of the political and media class, waging war against ordinary Americans all over the country. The Black Lives Matter movement itself is a decentralized coalition of people ranging from militant black activists, social media influencers attending events for clout, Jews using blacks as a weapon against whites, and people who apparently hate their own race and have therefore sided with a hostile outgroup. Their reasons for doing this range from it being a cultural status quo to legitimate outgroup preferences to fundamentally believing they are on the right side of history, induced by a sincerely held belief in a fictional narrative. Beyond these factions, nearly every major media organization, political machine, Fortune 500 company, foreign government, financial institution, and tech company has taken their side with the stated purpose of dismantling an allegedly white supremacist system, a quote-unquote white supremacist system that allows them to endlessly carry on with this charade. As one preeminent example, Bank of America pledged to give $1 billion to fight racial inequality in keeping with the BLM narrative and will likely make a few lucky charlatans very wealthy in the process. Given that they are giving handsome endowments to various groups to essentially attack whites, Bank of America also willingly turned over financial records to the FBI to help them track down those who attended the Capitol protest in January 2021. Target, along with Nike, Walmart, Ulta Beauty, and many other large corporations have pledged billions to fight racism and other fictions, donating to BLM, black-owned businesses, and more. 
further illustrating the fact that the riots and BLM are both state-sanctioned and funded, many of these large companies receive huge tax breaks and their existence is partly subsidized by the government. They in turn use part of what they save to give BLM several billion dollars. That's one degree away from direct state funding. An integral part of the BLM movement has been to demand total capitulation in response to their alleged list of grievances. It has not been uncommon to see social media users asking companies why they have not promoted BLM and asking which social justice funds they have donated to, demanding proof of said donations under either an explicit or implied threat of negative feedback on their business by the mob. Small businesses in riot zones would often put BLM signs in their windows, some to the point of begging rioters to spare their property. This was nothing less than every well-funded institution in the nation joining with and supporting street thugs to harass, intimidate, and attack ordinary white people in major cities across the United States. When people did have their lives turned upside down by the riots, common retorts were, don't worry, they had insurance, or property can be replaced. We were also told that human life inherently has some sort of infinite value and that no property was worth killing somebody over. This narrative was used to demean those who were considering using force to protect their property and potentially their life's work and to criminalize them in the court of public opinion before the fact. The carnage wrought by BLM, mostly against white Americans, has drawn soft battle lines. While whites are generally demonized, those who participate in the BLM movement are granted a temporary pass of sorts, giving them at least temporary immunity from the wrath of the BLM coalition, including their media, government, and corporate assets. Black Lives Matter is both racial and ideological. The language of its adherents is adamantly anti-white. Everything for them is about attacking so-called white privilege and white supremacism, often citing white people as the root cause of all their various grievances. This new social hegemony actively incentivizes whites to become race traitors, often in material ways. They want you to hate your ancestors and question the fundamental legitimacy of being white. Most modern political issues tend to be a thin veneer over what are, in actuality, racial questions and issues. At heart, BLM is about dismantling the vestiges of a white culture that only whites could have built. On the surface, there is just enough abstraction and gloss to convince a good number of people that this is a war for justice and not simply a pretext for attacking whites in the streets. But no matter how self-hating a white person happens to be, in the end, their usefulness to the cause will eventually come to an end. The most striking bit of symbolism providing clarity about race relations in America came in the form of an elk statue in Portland, Oregon that was more than a century old. It was vandalized and set on fire in the summer of 2020. This was of course happening all across America, with the justification being given that the figure represented had been racist or a supporter of colonialism or slavery. Sometimes simply being a white man was sufficient. The destruction of the elk statue in Portland didn't conform to any of these narratives, however. No, the elk portrayed by the statue had never owned a slave, it turns out, but it demonstrates the absurd truth underlying all of these monument and statue desecrations. None of it was about slavery or colonialism to begin with. The elk was destroyed merely because it was something white people had built and enjoyed over the decades. That was enough. Trillions of dollars in welfare, billions in donations for their racial justice projects, carte blanche to destroy and loot property and attack people with impunity. 
your figureheads being given million-dollar funerals with heads of state attending and wall-to-wall media coverage. That is an impression. Losing your job for questioning any of this, that's oppression. I find it impossible to believe that any part of the United States is under the control of white supremacists. If there were, surely any self-respecting white supremacist would not have allowed this farce to go on for months unopposed. While approximately 80% of the American population was ordered to stay home, mass gatherings of tens of thousands of people were allowed to protest the death of George Floyd. And while Black Lives Matter riots were being encouraged by politicians in the media, ordinary whites were being blamed for spreading COVID-19. Trump rallies, motorcycle rallies, vacations, and white men were all blamed for spreading the virus, despite the fact that we were being told that blacks were contracting the virus most commonly. CBS News, among others, blamed the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally for being a super-spreader event that transmitted the coronavirus through eight states, while other news outlets reported that Stanford researchers had determined that Trump rallies had produced over 30,000 COVID-19 cases. Despite the fact that this research indicated that only three of the 18 Trump rallies studied were held indoors. This is interesting, given that during the same time frame, CNN, Healthline, The Colorado Sun, NBC News, The Telegraph, The Cato Institute, The New York Post, and The Washington Post all published articles claiming that the Black Lives Matter protests did not contribute to an increase in COVID-19 cases. Indeed, several outlets went as far as to suggest that the Black Lives Matter riots reduced the spread. Public health officials across the nation joined the absurd chorus, ordering people to stay at home to avoid spreading COVID-19, while simultaneously encouraging them to participate in riots to protest social injustice. Indeed, over a thousand health experts signed a letter urging officials not to shut down BLM protests over coronavirus concerns. These same experts, who urged crippling lockdowns, curfews, quarantines, and so on, made an abrupt about-face. One of the more honest among them, infectious disease epidemiologist Dr. Catherine Troisi at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston wrote, quote, I certainly condemned the anti-lockdown protests at the time, and I'm not condemning the protests now, and I struggle with that. I have a hard time articulating why that is okay, unquote. The reason they are having a hard time articulating their obvious double standard is because they do not have the wherewithal to admit that they are merely political actors who hate whites, masquerading as scientists. After a solid month of riots over George Floyd and racism in California, Governor Gavin Newsom declared that small gatherings of family and friends and homes were likely to blame for the spike in cases. At the same time, there were protests and riots in over a hundred California cities involving tens of thousands of people in close proximity, but no mention was made of those. About five months after the Washington Post published that the summer of protests probably did not lead to a coronavirus spike, they wrote, quote, As Americans prepare to gather for Thanksgiving, the world watches with dread and disbelief, unquote. Social media, particularly Twitter, echoed this sentiment as people from around the world took to their keyboards to express their horror and shock that Americans might have the audacity to put them all at risk for a meal. The obvious implication being that a mass gathering to protest the death of a drugged-up felon is a perfectly reasonable justification to allegedly put others at risk. All the while, major media outlets continued to hammer home the message that there were disparate rates of infections between races. 
Politico told us that communities of color bear the brunt of the virus, claiming that blacks are hospitalized at nearly five times the rate of whites when contracting COVID-19. The New York Times published a chart showing coronavirus cases per 10,000 people, which purported to show whites at 23 per 10,000, well below the universal average of 38. Blacks were said to be at 62 cases per 10,000 and Latinos at 73. This was only part of the field day that the major media outlets had in using the pandemic to demonize whites. Yahoo News and MSN ran the article, CDC, White Men Still Aren't Washing Their Hands, while WebMD published, CDC, Young White Men Least Likely to Wash Hands. The study cited also claimed that higher percentages of blacks and Latinos reported washing their hands compared to whites. The Huffington Post published the article, The white male is the biggest risk in spreading the virus, blaming the white male effect for spreading COVID-19 by alleging that white men are less likely than others to obey warnings and are not as compliant as the rest of society. There is some truth in that statement, and within that truth is the explanation for a lot of the issue the elites have with whites, particularly white men, since we are less inclined to do whatever they tell us without question. Despite the CDC's and the media's findings, however, another study found that U.S. counties with a high percentage of white people have the fewest reported COVID-19 cases and overall more favorable outcomes concerning the virus. In the New York Times, Charles Blow wrote that social distancing and staying home were a privilege that blacks and Hispanics do not have when compared to whites. And although Orthodox Jews have had very high infection rates, they are not being defamed as a group in the same way whites are. While Vox claims that ignorance, privilege, and anti-black racism are behind anti-lockdown protests, the New York Daily News asks, quote, Why are some ultra-Orthodox Jews flouting social distancing rules? Unquote. The latter added that there are many, quote, cultural and political reasons that the ultra-Orthodox reject social distancing rules, and we need to help others understand because we're all in this together, unquote. It doesn't sound to me like we are in this together. Rather, it seems that all these groups hate whites and are willing to blame whites for everything, even for their own poor health and violence. The messaging from the media and the political class was clear. No large gatherings in public will be permitted unless it is to protest the existence of white people. The two-tiered justice and media system is becoming more visible as time wears on. Tony Tempa, a white man in Dallas, was pinned to the ground by police for almost 14 minutes. He pleaded with the officers saying he was going to die. When he finally stopped moving and the police let go of him, he was dead. But they mocked Tony on camera all the same. Tempa's death occurred in 2016, although the video wasn't released until July of 2019. It turns out that Temple was the one who had called police for help in the first place as he was struggling with his mental health. The police arrived and 20 minutes later he was dead. All charges against the officers involved were dropped. Similar things happened to Kelly Thomas and Daniel Shaver, among other white men who suffered brutal deaths at the hands of police while failing to become household names. 8 minutes and 46 seconds has become known worldwide as the time Derek Chauvin knelt on George Floyd's neck as he died. The New York Stock Exchange held 8 minutes and 46 seconds of silence to honor Floyd, while media companies held special 846 programming and politicians did the same in city governments and in the Senate. It appears a lot of white people are getting the sense that Black Lives Matter really means that 
Black Lives Matter more than yours, Whitey. And they are right. There has been a propaganda push to counter this increasingly common view held by whites, but people can't deny the evidence of their own eyes. The entire system, from the media to the political class to academia, is in lockstep on this. During the summer of 2020, Black Lives Matter protests were held in over 2,000 locations across the United States. Some of these were minuscule, consisting of only a handful of people with signs. The media machine used events such as these to paint the picture of mostly peaceful protests while downplaying the hundreds of places where protests became violent. Per the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project, ACLED, there was tremendous correlation between any BLM protests that consisted of even only a few hundred people and riots. Although supporters of the official narrative will claim that over 90% of all the protests were peaceful, it might be more accurate to say that over 90% of protests in major cities were not peaceful. Emphasis mine. Indeed, people were beaten and killed, businesses were looted and destroyed, and many properties were vandalized with graffiti and damaged. The data shows that the riots produced over a billion dollars in damages, with some sources putting it at two billion or more, making the summer 2020 riots the most expensive in our nation's history, surpassing even the 1992 Rodney King riots even when adjusted for inflation. It must be noted that these figures represent only insured losses, and thus only a fraction of the total damage caused by the BLM riots. Those without insurance, those who did not make claims, those suffering from downstream effects such as later loss of a business due to fallout from the riots, long-term medical costs, and the antisocial capital that swelled across the nation are not factored into the damages. And that's not to mention the more intangible forms of damage. For much of the summer, in many urban centers, it was not even safe to be outside during the day. I walked a few blocks in the downtown area of my city after nights of rioting, stepping over broken glass everywhere, finding every first floor window and door boarded up, everything covered in graffiti. The place was a ghost town. Businesses that were off the protest path by a block may not have been able to file an insurance claim, but they certainly suffered other forms of damage by virtue of the fact that law-abiding people were staying away. Since we are told that it is not possible for the races to live separately, and since we know this is the inevitable outcome of such togetherness, these riots should be seen as nothing more than a proxy for state action. People need to think in these terms, not believing that it was only some bad individuals who were responsible for the violence. This was all fostered through deliberate effort by people who already knew what the outcome would be. The examples of this are legion. However, it would be a disservice not to include a few of the more egregious ones so that we can understand what we were dealing with. Jessica Doty Whitaker, a 24-year-old mother, was shot and killed by a group of BLM protesters in Indianapolis after an argument in which Whitaker stated that all lives matter. After her death, people cheered and wrote, good riddance to another racist, based upon the unproven claim that somebody she was with had allegedly said, nigga. Adam Hainer, who was driving through Portland during a riot, took a wrong turn and was attacked by a mob. As he tried to flee, he crashed into a light pole, then was pulled from his truck, beaten, and kicked in the face, finally being knocked unconscious. In Kenosha, Wisconsin, a man in his 70s tried to save the mattress store where he worked from being burned by using a fire extinguisher. 
For this affront, he was attacked and had his jaw broken by rioters. The store was ultimately burned down. In Rochester, New York, an elderly couple who live above a shop tried to protect it from rioters and were subsequently beaten with two-by-four boards. Walking from the Million Maga March in Washington, D.C., an older man was sucker-punched and knocked unconscious in the street. Many similar incidents took place in D.C. that day. In fact, some went on all summer and into the fall. In Denver, Colorado, a 49-year-old custom hat maker named Lee Keltner was shot and killed at a protest while leaving a Patriot rally. In Omaha, Nebraska, bar owner Jake Gardner got forced into a fight while trying to defend his establishment from rioters and killed one in the process. Charges were not originally filed as the county attorney, Don Klein, believed Gardner had shot the rioter in self-defense. Several months later, however, likely due to political pressure, Klein charged Gardner with manslaughter and assault, charging him with a firearms violation and with making threats. A week later, Gardner committed suicide. It turns out Gardner and his bar had been subjected to harassment from various liberal factions for years. In New York City, a group of blacks happened upon an unfortunate raccoon one night. The frightened creature attempted to flee from the crowd only to be intentionally run over by the car the raccoon was hiding under as the onlookers roared with laughter. Now injured, unable to run, and surrounded, a young black male beat the helpless animal on the street with a baseball bat. Video showed another black finally killing it with the bat. Dozens were yelling, cheering, laughing, and enjoying the show as the raccoon lay in a pool of its own blood. When the video began to be shared on social media, the perpetrators defended the killing by saying such things as, Only white people worry about animals. Worry about the police killing black people and treating us like animals. But this was of course nonsense. These savages were only interested in the cheap thrills they got from watching a helpless living thing suffer. After months of riots that felt endless at times, those who resisted in any way at all, no matter how slight, were met with a heavy hand by the state. It is crucial to note that while statues were raised and entire city blocks vandalized, those who vandalized state-sponsored BLM murals were hunted down with fervor. While BLM advocates and representatives were still going on television to claim they were being oppressed, cities were having murals painted for them on walls across entire city streets. On Fifth Avenue in New York City, outside Trump Tower, a Black Lives Matter mural was painted across the street. When people threw paint over the mural to deface it, they were found, arrested, and condemned by the mayor. Similar murals were created all over the nation, and arrests were made in North Carolina and California, and perhaps elsewhere, of those who vandalized them. People have also been arrested for vandalizing BLM signs and for posting flyers criticizing BLM or other liberal policies. In at least one case, the vandals were charged with a hate crime for throwing paint on a road that has already been defaced by a BLM mural. This is not what happens to oppressed and marginalized people. Similarly, a man was arrested in Delray Beach, Florida and called a hateful criminal for removing a mural from a crosswalk that had been painted in support of gay pride, trans rights, and Black Lives Matter through a burnout. Prosecutors are trying to add a hate crime enhancement to the charge of an unauthorized burnout, which is generally a reckless operation traffic ticket at most. 
Black Lives Matter adherents routinely call for the police to be abolished, yet if you deface their murals, those same people won't hesitate to call the police on you, and they'll come and arrest you post-haste. A blogger for The Nation wrote that although he is in favor of abolishing prisons, those who protested at the Capitol building should be arrested and prosecuted as harshly as possible. Something about all of this does not sit right with me. The enemies of our civilization and our race no longer even pretend anymore. While BLM rioters were given free reign to intimidate and beat people for months, anybody who dared to respond to them, or non-whites in general, was hunted down and put in a cell. And while the FBI had billboards put up across the nation asking for help in tracking down the January 6th demonstrators, the rioters who had destroyed entire city blocks were ignored. Those few who were ever charged with anything eventually had them dropped. This is the same FBI that had spent months investigating a hoaxed hate crime involving a noose found in Bubba Wallace's NASCAR garage. In fact, it was simply a garage door pull rope. And this is the same FBI that knew what Jeff Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell were up to for over a decade and did nothing about any of their sex crimes and trafficking. Indeed, this is the same FBI that used its enormous network to pursue animal rights activists who had exposed Iowa Select, an industrial pork producer, as an abuser and mass polluter. It turns out that Iowa Select had suffocated thousands of pigs in a method called ventilation shutdown, where all the airways in a barn are closed while steam is pumped inside until all the pigs suffocate and die of hyperthermia. Iowa Select's owners are large-scale liberal donors, and after they were exposed, the FBI targeted the activist group, trying to trick them into buying or selling contraband to an informant. From this, it should be very clear that the FBI is only there to protect the elite class and ensure there are no peasant revolts in response to the treatment we receive from our betters. Lawmakers are now proposing laws to make it illegal for whites to call the police on blacks. These laws are being touted as anti-bias or anti-racism bills to fight racial injustice, but their real intent is to discourage and frighten whites from ever calling the police on blacks and other criminals. Ellie Mistel, a black lawyer, has called on black jurors to refuse to convict blacks who have murdered whites in order to achieve some racial justice. The Washington Post and other outlets covered this story in earnest. There were no accusations of racism for Mr. Mistel. He was simply presenting his views to the wider public. It doesn't end there. The Associated Press recently released a new style guide adjusting its rules on capitalization, now calling for black to be capitalized while continuing to print white in lower case. Their reasoning? Blacks have more of a shared culture and history compared to whites, and whites do not have the experience of being discriminated against. The AP is in fact attempting to erase and discredit white shared culture and history, and to make it more acceptable to create more discriminatory policies against them. These hostile actors are all working to induce real racial violence against white people. If they get their way, they will make it illegal for whites to defend themselves from such attacks. It's already nearly illegal to defend ourselves against them. If only whites really were as horrible as they say we are. 
If so, maybe instead of begging to be around us no matter where we go, these people would do the reasonable thing and instead get as far away from us as possible. There are new rules you need to learn to live by. You need to know that you will be hunted down and arrested merely for trying to run your small business, for visiting the park, or grabbing a soda with friends at a 7-Eleven. But that looting a business, destroying statues in a park, or burning down the 7-Eleven are all fine if they're done for the right reasons. Proceed accordingly. August 3rd, 2021. Countercurrents. 